following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. First reading comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16, and you'll find it on page 692 in your Bible. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you be pa- you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try to buy the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The second reading comes from Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. As we sit, shall we pray? May I speak, and may we all hear, in the name of the Advent God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I hope you've got your mince pies, your Christmas puddings, your mulled wine, if you must, all ready, ready to go. But today, we're still in Advent. Sorry, Christmas is coming, but not yet. This is the season of looking forward, well forward, but also looking back and reflecting within ourselves about what it means to follow the living God. We'd be looking at John the Baptist and his disciples. 
And now we turn. We turn to that day which is coming, Christmas itself. And yet we do so in the season of Advent. Do open, if you've got the Bibles, that passage from Matthew's Gospel. It's not on page one because we've got a complete testament running through both testament pages. You're on page 965 of the Bibles we have in front of us. Yes, the sharp edge of Advent challenges us to take seriously how we respond to these scriptures. The prayers to be spoken, the text to be read, the journey of Advent faith which looks back and looks forward. What is God doing? What does God want of me and of you? What is this mighty king who is coming asking of us today? And in this we turn to Matthew, who focuses surprisingly perhaps on Joseph rather than Mary. Mary so much the focus often of Advent for this fourth Sunday as we heard, as we sang, and we heard the, cos- the collect, and we've just sung of Mary. Yet today our focus is on Joseph. But first, as we look at chapter 1, verse 18, we begin with a birth, the birth of Jesus. We hear of a God who takes risks, risks in sending his son, risks in trusting human beings to be the bearer or the be- one of the bearers of the son and how the father, the legal father Joseph, is intricately involved in the whole story and we give thanks for God and for them. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. It begins by stating what seems so obvious, the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Now even the great theologian Stanley Hauerwas had to be reminded as he was writing his commentary that actually Jesus was born. We take it for a you know, obviously he was born, wasn't he? But wow, what a thought. Because in a one way sense the birth is not obvious. Wouldn't it have been easy just to helicopter him in from above or parachute him down or send him by some intergalactic spaceship? For birth is very fragile, it's very risky. And in these days there was no paediatric intensive care unit, no blood transfusion system, no caesarean section just waiting for the moment. No, this was risky times, just times of great infant mortality and maternal mortality. It's not an appealing time to be born. And yet here Jesus is born, baby, both human and God. Stanley Howes has to be reminded as we are that Jesus came among us born as a baby. And as we read through these verses, we see again and again, born of Mary is a recurring theme. So God takes a huge risk and for that we're very grateful. Matthew 1.18 also tells us that the mother is Mary, his mother, Mary. Well, that's obvious too, isn't it? And yet she comes with all the risks of being a young teenage mother, and we'll hear about that more in a moment. For as I've said, the focus here of Matthew is on Joseph, and if you want to know about Mary, well, go to Luke. He'll tell you a lot more about it. Because I hope you noticed here in these verses that we hear nothing of Bethlehem. There's no innkeeper, no stable, no musical angels, 
no sheep, no shepherds. It's all very much about Mary, then Joseph, and then the three kings as we read on. Now what Matthew is telling us here, first of all, is that Mary is the mother, but that Jesus, his father, is God. Oh yes, Joseph is the legal father, but the true father is God by the Holy Spirit. Mary's taken her risks. She's risking being divorced. Because even though there's been no formal wedding ceremony, she knows that if she's divorced, she'll be thrown out of the family, made destitute, at very worst, attacked and even stoned as an adulteress. Mary's risk is great too in her saying yes to God. But as I've said, our focus is on Joseph. We hear in verse 19 that Joseph is the father. No, he's not. He's the legal father. God is the father. We know that Matthew tells us elsewhere that he is a carpenter by trade, but we know little else about Matthew. It's a view of Joseph. We don't hear of Joseph later in the story. Perhaps he's died by the time Jesus' public ministry is there for us all to hear and see. Maybe he's much older than the teenage Mary. But what we do know from Matthew in verse 19 is that he is a righteous man. Joseph, he's righteous. Translated here as faithful to the law. He knows what the law requires of him. And that means he ought to divorce this girl. This apparently unfaithful fiancé who apparently is pregnant. Now it's a bit confusing for us that he is described as Mary's husband. But of course in this period of the first century Jewish context, to be betrothed had the weight of being married, even though they weren't living together as man and wife. So he needs to divorce her with two witnesses, because it seems she's failed him. But you also read here that, she, that Joseph doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he plans to divorce her quietly without witnesses. So we hear something more about Joseph, the carpenter. Not only is he a righteous man, a man who wants to follow the law, but he's kind and gracious and considerate. He doesn't want to upset Mary beyond what he must do. And so it might all have ended like that. No formal wedding, a divorce, a poor young girl out perhaps on the streets without much hope, at a time when being a single mother wasn't such a good thing, hopefully better today, but not so good in those days. Disgraced. Jesus, born out of wedlock, excluded from polite society, well, not a good ending. But then God intervenes into the story using a dream. And this, of course, is Joseph of the New Testament who dreams. And we're reminded of another dreamer in the Old Testament, another Joseph of that many-coloured dream coat who also dreams. 
and responds to God in faith and in obedience. We read in verse 24 that he wakes up, which is good, and remembers the dream even better. And he does what the angel has suggested. He takes Mary to be his wife. He risks all the gossip and innuendo as people round about him, looking as Mary becomes more pregnant, wonder, Joseph, what have you been up to? And he can't tell them, of course, that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Well, come on, Joseph, pull the other one. We've heard that sort of thing before. It's all about the dream. And as we read on in Matthew's Gospel, we hear more of dreams. He has three more dreams, in fact, if you look at chapter 2. But again, that's for another day. So I wonder what you make of dreams. Do you remember your dreams? Are they good dreams or bad dreams? I have a number of recurring dreams, as you could imagine. The obvious one... No, you didn't pass medical finals. You are a gen- you're not a GP, you're a fraud. You need to go back to medical school and get that exam passed, and then it'll all be well. Or equally, because I'm very worried about transportation, I've arrived at the wrong station, at the wrong time, at the wrong platform, and the train has left. Well, you have your own particular worries and concerns, and they may well play out in your dreams for those of you who remember them. It's all very worrying. Now, Sigmund Freud, in his work, The Interpretation of Dreams, claims that every dream, every dream, has a connection point with an experience of the previous day. So what you've gone through today, you'll dream about tonight. Now, whatever you think of Freud... And he was much misunderstood. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, that what we're doing now and today may influence how we dream, for those of us who remember our dreams, tonight. There's a connection with who we are and what we do day by day and how we dream. And I think this has a relevance for me in this particular passage. And maybe you'll reflect on it as you go about your day as you dream tonight. What had happened the day before this dream, I wonder? Had Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant? That would have been quite a shock to the system, and that might have triggered a dream. But verse 26 tells us that Joseph had considered the issue of divorcing Mary, perhaps for some days or a week or two. He'd mould it over in his mind. And it seems that he'd come to a decision. Maybe it was still haunting him as he went to bed that he would perhaps divorce Mary, even though, of course, they weren't married, but the betrothal was such a strong issue that he had physically to divorce her to stop the marriage happening. And yet he must also have been wondering about Mary in that day. It was so out of character for Mary to fail him. She was such a devout young woman, so attentive, so gracious, so godly, so righteous. It seems incredible that she might do something 
of such a failing thing. And into this frame of mind he goes maybe to sleep, and because he's open to God in this moment and open to Mary's possibilities, God can speak to him and make the point that the pregnancy that she now has revealed to Joseph is by God the Holy Spirit, revealed to her through an angel also. And it's into that fertile ground of Joseph's belief system that Mary and her condition can become obvious through God's revelation. He's ready, he's receptive, he's open, Joseph is, to what God might be saying. Yes, a virgin conception is incredible, but for God, nothing is impossible. And so he believes it and acts upon it. So, Joseph takes a big risk in accepting Mary with all the risks of innuendo and gossip and stories and being wondered, is he such a righteous man after all? Mary takes that huge risk of saying yes to God. It's a young girl taking on a pregnancy in such a context. What lies ahead for both of them is unknown. And as Tom Wright reminds us, Matthew also takes a risk by writing it down and telling us about it. Don't think they were fools in the first century. They thought this was extraordinary too, as we might and our friends might. Come on, Matthew, do you really mean the virgin conception? No, you can't surely write that down. But he does. And we're glad of that. And he reminds us that as the legal father, the legal father, Joseph, links Jesus to Abraham and to David as the whole of the genealogy at the beginning of the book reminds us. That's why it's there to connect Jesus through his legal father, Joseph, to the great saints of the Old Testament. But at no point does Matthew say that Joseph is his father. Jesus is always the son of God. So where does that leave us this morning? After a rather long and complicated story about a man and a woman and God and the Holy Spirit and pregnancy, where does that leave us? I think it reminds us that God acts in ways that we can't always see or understand, but works for our good and for the good of all people. And it seems that God takes risks, and maybe he's calling us too to take some sort of risk in our lives. For risk always had that possibility of it going wrong. And yet, within God's providence, we can hope and know that things will turn out well. That is what God is like. God's work with Mary and Joseph does not appear out of the blue into unprepared ground. Both Mary and Joseph are people of faith. They have a faith journey where they go to the synagogue, where they hear the scriptures read, where they say their family prayers, they keep the festivals, they seek to obey the law. Their lives are fertile soil for God, and that challenges us to be fertile ground too, where God can plant his seeds of hope to transform the world. That must be our Advent challenge. How can we too be fertile soil? prepared soil, ready soil for whatever God is calling us into 
in the next days, weeks and years. How to deepen our own faith journey, our everyday faith. Whether it's through coming here on a Sunday, joining a small group or another sort of discipleship group, truly trying morning prayer or following, as I hope you might, the Christmas theme from the Church of England, Follow the Star. I don't know how many of you have seen Follow the Star. You can download the app. It starts, I think, on Christmas Day for 12 days. And we've got more information on that, various sorts of ways of following the star and seeing how God is at work in this period of the Christmas season as our walk with God deepens and as we open ourselves up to him more fully. And, of course, the birth of Jesus means God saves because God's name, Emmanuel, is God with us in Jesus. God takes that risk. God saves us as he calls us to save others through him. And maybe our dreams can be fulfilled. As I've said, if you go on into Matthew chapter 2, we hear how Joseph has three more dreams and God speaks to him about going to Egypt and then coming back and being warned. It's all a bit risky, but he does it. So saying yes to Jesus involves risk, reshaping, rethinking our lives, whether being Christians for a day or for some decades. It may mean physical danger. For many in the world, it does. And for others, it means the sorrow that Mary experienced to the death of her son. Yet, we are called to follow Is it worth the risk? Well, I think Christians down the century would say yes, as many Christians, even the persecuted Christians around the world, would also say yes. So whether you've been following Jesus for a day or for a decade, continue to say yes to him, to take the risk, to step out in faith. For what we start to do today can become our dream for tomorrow. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.